Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Jamie Kendra. I'm glad to be here with you. This morning is Pentecost. And we're going to talk about what Pentecost is in a little bit. Some of you may not know what that is, but it's actually kind of a big deal for us as, as believers. And, and it's also Memorial Day. You know, and I, I got to be honest, Memorial Day is getting harder for me as an old youth pastor because I'm, I'm actually losing students in the field of battle. And about two months ago, a lot of you know this, but I buried one of my best friends, 35 years from childhood, died because of wounds sustained in battle. You know, our freedom comes at a great cost. And it is wrong for us ever to forget the sacrifices that have been laid down, especially as Americans, by our soldiers and our forefathers. But even greater than that is the spiritual sacrifices that have been made for us. Because you see, Jesus Christ died for all of us. He left the safety of the shores of heaven. He came to earth. And when that happened, we began to develop a heritage of our Christian faith. And I want you to know that over the years, thousands and thousands and thousands of people have given their lives so that you and I could sit here and worship God. I want you to think about this. In most of the world, they're not free to do what you and I are free to do this morning. They'll face persecution of some sort, some type of threat. But there's been a heritage that we have received because people have been willing to lay their life down for us. Jesus Christ, our forefathers in the church, the reformers. And we can't forget that. You know, we say creeds in this church, and they're not just things that we picked up and said, hey, that sounds really good. We'll use that. But these creeds were, were statements that were proclaimed about God. And this morning, uh, celebrating the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about something called the Nicene Creed. You see, there was early in the early church, they were trying to figure out a lot and, and, and they were making statements about who God was. And there was those who said that Jesus was only a God and that he wasn't a man or he was only a man and he wasn't a God. They were saying the Holy Spirit was kind of like the child of God and Jesus. And there was always misconception on, on what was really God going on. And so there was this group of people who came together and it cost some of them their lives. And they created this statement to fight these heresies. And when we say the words of the Nicene Creed, it points out a couple of things. That Jesus is fully God. He is fully man. He is an equal part of the Trinity of God. Some said he was not. It also says that the Holy Spirit that we're going to talk about today, let's be honest, church, we're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Did you know the Holy Spirit is not an it the Holy Spirit is a he, and he is an equal member of the Trinity as well. In the words of the Nicene Creed, it makes mention of Jesus in this way. It makes mention of the Holy Spirit this way. And so as we remember all of those that have laid down so much for us so that we could be here, it is appropriate that we stand and we recite the words of the Nicene Creed together. And as we say these words, I want you to think about that heritage and I want you to think about these words as we say them. So please stand with me. 
As we say these words together, I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten and not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So Father, as we recite these words, and we think of that silly little word, It says, God the Father and the Son. It's amazing that that word and costs so many people their lives to make the claim that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so, Lord, as we listen to what it is that you have to teach us this morning, we pray that you would take any preconceived notions we have about the Holy Spirit, any fears, any angst that we may have, and we pray that you would just chuck that out right now, God, because you have something to say to us. Because the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been there since the creation of the world. We thank you that the Holy Spirit was even involved in the moments of Jesus' early, early life and pronunciation, God. And so as we listen to your word this morning, speak to us, God. Holy Spirit, fill my lips with your words. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're in a new series today. Uh, We're starting a series called Acts, A Young Church in Action. And we're going to be going throughout this throughout the summer. And a couple of reasons we're doing this, well, the book of Acts is just awesome. uh, And it's in the Bible, and it's good for us to know this. And secondly, we as a church are celebrating 20 years of ministry and, you know, it's been neat because I have a, there's a whole bunch of ministries that, that uh, there's a few directly behind the wall here. There's an orphan's ministry, or, or, and there's a young lives ministry. We've been involved in Silver Ring thing. We've had um, all kinds of ministries birthed out of this church. We've been involved with Urban Impact for such a long time. And so what happens is, is when the people of God are filled with the Spirit, ministry happens. And it's been really neat to see that in the young life of our church. And so we thought, why don't we take a look at how the church began. And so what we're going to do throughout the summer is we're going to take a look at the book of Acts. Now, before we get started, I want you to do something with me. I want you to say this. The Holy Spirit Spirit. 
is a person in the Trinity. He is fully God. He is eternal. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit has a will and can speak. He is alive. Okay, you don't have to repeat this part. But he is not particularly visible to us physically. Why? Because he's a spirit. Very good answer. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Amen. Let's be done. Here's the reason the Holy Spirit's not visible. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's function is to say the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. The Holy Spirit is not an it. We should not be afraid of him. It is not wrong for us to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. You know when we lift our hands in worship, we're not doing that so we can do the YMCA or look really cool. We do that because it's right for us to worship God in such a way that we're asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. So whether you're really super spiritual or just kind of spiritual, that's why we do that. And, and so we ask God to fill us because the Holy Spirit, and a lot of this blows a lot of people's mind, is the most interactive part of God that you and I will have this side of eternity. We like to think that, that it's just with Jesus, but the Holy Spirit was sent to us by God to equip us, to counsel us, to, to, to heal us, to love us, to be there with us. And it is wrong for us to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. It is wrong uh, for us to shy away from it because we have different people here nor there that go to different extremes and we're not going to play that game because the Holy Spirit is alive, He is real, He is all-powerful, He is all-knowing, and He has a plan and a purpose. Amen? Amen. All right, I feel a lot better now. That's good, as long as we're all clear on that. So I want to give us some background on the Church of Acts. Because you see, Acts, this book was kind of written around 70 A.D. And this is written by a guy named Luke. Now, Luke is responsible for the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to document the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He talks about the importance of of Jesus' ministry. And Luke was a guy that hung around with Paul and saw the importance of understanding the history of the church. And so where does the history of church begin? This is the ultimate Sunday school. Everybody should get this right. Jesus, right? It starts with Jesus. So in Luke's first book, Luke, he tells us the story of Jesus, the beginning. In his second book, he has written the book of Acts. Now, what's the difference between Luke and Acts? Well, the book of Acts is the beginning of Christ's bride, the church. You know, a lot of times we have this mindset in the Bible that the church just happened, that like, you know, the Hebrew version of Robbie and the Roman version of Brad Labakan just came together around 70 AD and boom, church happened. Listen to me. Church was messed up for a long time. They were trying to figure out who they were. Now think about this. Jesus Christ comes. What was Jesus? Jesus was a Galilean Jew. Where did they worship? They worshiped in a synagogue. Who were the majority of people who were confessing Christ? They were Jews. And so what you have is I want you to imagine this little fish. You know, we have the Christian fish that we have in the back of our cars and stuff. Okay, or it's called the ichthus. There's this big circle, and it's called Judaism. 
The Christian church, when it first began, existed smack dab in the center of Judaism. They didn't know how to practice Christianity yet. Is this making sense? I want to make sure we're clear here, because they had the ultimate teacher in Jesus, but the church Sunday morning worship service didn't just happen like that. It took years and years of struggling for identity. Do you remember what Peter's big problem was in the book of Acts? Peter's big problem was he didn't want to have anything to do with them Gentiles. Well, the book of Acts is amazing because it's broken down into two ways. You have the beginning half of it, which speaks to Peter's ministry, to the Jews. Then you have the second half of it that speaks to Paul's ministry, which is to the Gentiles. And, and unless you're able to say Mazel Tov in here, we should be thankful for the fact that the Gentiles were included. Amen? All right, it's good news for us. And so the book of Acts bridges the gap from the Gospels to Romans. And so you've got that big Judaism circle with the Ichthus church fish in the middle that as we see the book of Acts move on, we begin to see the Christian church, or the way as it was called then, begin to move from Judaism into its own entity over here. Does that make sense? So like the first Christians, when they were first trying this out, well, where were they teaching? Where were the disciples arrested right after Christ? In the synagogues. They didn't even have their own buildings yet. And so they were meeting in the synagogues and they were struggling through this Judaism in the way and, and so they were figuring it out. And it's important for us to remember that because that's a struggle that the church went through for us. The, the 70 AD to 300 is an era in church history for all you nerds out there who will appreciate this. It's called the patristic era of the church, the age of the apostles and, and those that would come right after. And it was a struggle. They wrote this manual because if you remember, they don't have the New Testament yet. They're still kind of working on it, all right? They're working through it. And so they created this manual called the Didache. It means the way of the apostles. And so they, they created this thing to talk about how they would do church services. And a couple of the things that they held sacred was something big word called catechism, catechesis, is they would make sure to teach the Old Testament. They would make sure to teach the words of Jesus to the people coming into the church. They held baptism as sacred. And they also held communion sacred. The other thing that the Didache talked about was the importance of worship. And so they actually added preaching in a lot later. So don't tell anybody, I'm not that important to what's happening here. Okay. But they would add oration of the word, but later they would add preaching. Now, a lot later. So this Didache was a first attempt at trying to figure out how to do church. But the book of Acts is a remarkable journey through, the, through the, the vision and the mission of what the church is going to be. The other two things that it breaks down into, very simply, it teaches us about the Holy Spirit, and it teaches us, as we're going to learn next week, about the mission of the church. And so as all summer long we're going to be going through the book of Acts, it's important for us to remember the Holy Spirit is not some weirdo wackadoo portion of the Trinity. He is an equal part of the Trinity of God. Do not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We're going to talk about this a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to go ahead and turn to John 14 right now as we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. Was that enough of a history lesson for you this morning already? Okay. So you get to the book of Acts 1. I'm going to start in 1 real quick. You have the Great Commission. And if you want to do something really cool, take the book of Luke 
and finish it and then start in Acts. And you'll see how it connects. Because in the book of Acts, we see Jesus' great commission again. And what is the great commission of Christ? What does he tell us to do? Make disciples. Our job is to not be inwardly focused. Our job is to be outwardly focused. So here you are, this group of Jews trying to figure out a new religion, and and Jesus is telling us he's going to leave us. What are we going to do? Well, he gives us an answer in John 14 when he says these words. He says, All of these things I have spoken to you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Who is the Holy Spirit? Not an it, but a he. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you and my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, we have a promise of a helper. The early church had a promise of a helper. God didn't just say, go do this and have fun, kids. He he said, I'm staying in this with you. And the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? So now we're going to jump over to Acts 2.1. Jesus has given the church a mission. He has now ascended to the Father. And we've come to this day, Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Okay? A lot of folks in here are wearing red today. We wear the red as a symbol of the tongues of fire that we're going to talk about. And and I want to remind us that that Pentecost is actually a Jewish festival. It had a specific meaning to the Jew. Pentecost is known as the festival of weeks. And what this was, it comes from Leviticus 23, is this moment where the church would bring their first fruits forward, that, that 10%, that tithe that we've talked about. And so this festival of weeks is this opportunity where, you know, we have the kids come down here on Palm Sunday with the palm branches. Well, in the synagogue, they would wave wheat as a symbol of bringing their first fruits to God. And so the festival of weeks was this thing. Now, this is one of the three big feasts in the Jewish tradition. And so everybody in the world literally is coming home to Jerusalem. All the Jews are coming home to Jerusalem. And as as Pastor Robbie said, there's some really hard names. We can't even say the names right, let alone speak their languages. Right? And so there's all these nations that come together, just like when families come home for Christmas. So there's this amazing crowd growing in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Did I say the word Pentecost actually means 50 days kind of after Passover? Which is when Easter kind of goes down for us. So isn't it neat that, that Jesus kind of took the meanings of those days and changed them forever, like he's about to do with Pentecost, like the Holy Spirit's about to do with Pentecost? So let us read in Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly sounds like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I want to point this out. We need to look at this for what it is. You have this miraculous divine moment where the Holy Spirit comes down on God's people and he enables them to do a miraculous thing in a miraculous moment. Sometimes we limit the Holy Spirit to what he can do, but when you're in a moment of ministry, the Holy Spirit will give you exactly the tools that you need to do what it is his will is calling for. It's not always going to be able to speak in tongues. It's not always going to be able to do this or that. But he will give you exactly what you need. Have you ever had this moment in your life 
where you have that work person that God has put on your heart to share Christ with, and you are absolutely terrible at memorizing Scripture. I'm a preacher. I'm going to tell you right now, I butcher Scripture. I'm not good at memorizing it. But what blows me away is how many times we get in those situations and we have exactly the right words to say. We quote Scripture like we wrote the thing, and then when it's all said and done, we say, we have no idea what just happened. Does that happen to you? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. You made the right move of just getting out of the way. We'll go into that in a minute. Anyway, this is good stuff. So they were filled for a divine moment, for a divine miracle, and they were able to speak different languages. Now listen to this. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. How many nations? It says every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together. Now, if you've ever been to... Okay, so we're in Rome a couple of weeks ago on our Holy Land trip, and I hear a guy speaking the most grotesque Pittsburghese accent I ever heard in my life. I'm listening to all these people speak Italian around me, and I could pick him out in the crowd. That guy's speaking my language, and you all know it. We went downtown Rome and got some pizza, and it was awesome. But I could pick him out because I knew the voice. And here in this moment, these people have come to Jerusalem to worship, and something miraculous happens in the forms of a yinder talk. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. I mean, they don't just have, like, uh, Rosetta Stone back then. You just didn't learn a language. You just didn't. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Robbie, I did it! <laughs> I said I'm right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so in Rome, the Cretans, I messed it up. The Arabs... Where we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, I honestly believe in this moment, it's a, it's a whimsical, funny moment. I did not know that guy I met in Rome at all, but it was like we were best friends because he could speak my language. And I'd like to think that on this first day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, these people are kind of giddy. Like, how is this guy speaking my language? They go and they say this phrase next. Are these people drunk? And I love the exclamation points in the Bible. Please read the punctuation in the Bible. For the love of God, read the punctuation points. Because they tell us a different story. They tell us a a great story. Some, however, made fun of them saying, they've had way too much wine. And Peter's response is not a rebuke, but it's a classic. I just, it's it's a great kind of sarcastic, whimsical response to this moment. Peter stood up and with 11, he raised his voice and in seriously he said, and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine o'clock in the morning. Now that doesn't sound like a rebuke, does it? God's fun. God's whimsical. And these moments are sometimes okay to laugh at and go, 
That's awesome. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Who gets drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning? And then he takes a serious turn. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream of dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. Wait. You can't say women in this time because women were not considered equals. This is mind-blowing what is being said. He says, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. I can't help you on that one. I'm trying to figure it out still. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious days of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, this day of Pentecost, it transformed for the believer. Because what happens in this moment is is, is Peter begins to explain what's going on. And he's basically saying the gospel message. And so I want to encourage us as the Holy Spirit empowered these guys on this day to bring the message of the Lord, I want to encourage us to stop being afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it to you again because the Holy Spirit is a person in the Trinity of God. He is fully God. He is eternal, omniscient, omnipresent. He has a will and can speak. He is alive. He is not particularly visible in the Bible because his ministry is to bear witness to Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, this is a red tape area for Christians. And so Pastor Jared and I actually sat down for a very long time this week, and we wrote out what we wanted to say. Because we wanted to make sure that we're not being guilty of throwing darts or taking pot shots here. We just want to preach what the Word says. And so I'm going to read to you a little bit of what we wrote. The Holy, I said, read that part. Being filled with, we've we got to start by distinguishing the difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized by the Holy Spirit. See, we, we don't know a lot about it, and so sometimes we, we kind of forget that those things are actually different. And so I want to read this to you. Being filled with the Spirit must be distinguished from being baptized with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul carefully defines baptism with the Spirit as an act of Christ by which he places believers into his body. See, we have this mindset that when we accept God, we bring him into our little hearts. That ain't the way it happens, folks. Just as the church is moving from the center of Judaism out, it's like we're moving from out of the world into God. Does that make sense? The Apostle Paul carefully defines baptism with the Spirit as an act of Christ by which he places believers into his body. Romans 6.4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, baptism is a sovereign, single, unrepeatable act on God's part. Some would wrongly view baptism with the Spirit as an initiation into an elite status of spirituality. But the purpose of baptism with the Spirit is not to divide the body of Christ, but to unify it. This is why Paul says we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Unlike baptism with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is an experience and should be continuous. 
Although filled initially on the day of Pentecost, Peter was later filled again in Acts 4.8. And it continues on. So when we think about baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's a moment of, of, of dying with Christ and coming up anew. But when we think of being filled with the Spirit, listen to me, church. You are called to daily ask God to fill you with the Spirit. Because if the disciples, the guys that ran around with Jesus, are pouring themselves out like a drink offering, it means they're emptying themselves. But you see, this vessel that we have can only be so filled with stuff. And if we're filling our lives with the junk of this world, we're not leaving room for the Spirit. And if we're filling our lives with the things of the Spirit, we're not leaving room for the things of this world. Where do you think God wants us to be? He wants us to be in the Spirit. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. At the same time, the believers are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18-20 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And always give thanks to God, the Father of everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who will be filled with the Spirit must first empty themselves. That involves confession of sin. We don't like to talk about that, do we? How serious do you take your sin, church? Do you have this mindset that when Jesus died on the cross, it's all good, he's covered it? Listen to me. Freedom comes at an expensive cost. And it's important for us to remember that when Christ died on the cross, yes, his grace, mercy, and sovereignty is sufficient to cover all things, but that's not how we treat someone we love. Do you confess your sin? Do you take moments and confess your sin? Because if you're not confessing your sin, you're clinging to junk and you're being filled with the things of this earth and not the things of the Spirit. Take confession of sin seriously. And look, you don't got to call me up and meet with me. Jesus is your intercessor with God. Have a conversation with him. But genuinely deal with your sin because we are called to confess and to deny ourselves, to deny our will for his will. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to consciously practice the presence of the Lord and to have a mind saturated with the word of God. Are you reading the word of God? Because if you're not reading the, God, with the word of God, what are you filling yourself with? If you're emptying yourself of those sins and you want to be a servant to God, you've got to be in the word of God. Remember, the early church took serious that Christian education of learning the Word of God. We've got to learn it, folks. We want to have a mind that is saturated with the Word of God. Colossians 3.16 tells us about this. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, church, we will see it result in many ways. You will see fruit in your life. When you're daily asking God to give you the energy, the strength, the courage, whatever it is that you need, he will show up in it. He doesn't put us in circumstances and abandon them to it. I say it all the time. He doesn't put us places and leave us hanging. The Holy Spirit is all around you. He's in you. And he's there to empower you. Do you trust him? Do you obey him? Because obedience is another part of this. We need to be obedient to the Spirit. We're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we've had these moments in our lives where we as Christians 
have seen things happen that we can't explain. And the only explanation of it could be the Holy Spirit just did something amazing. But because we're so afraid of talking about it and ruffling feathers are coming down on one side or the other, we don't talk about it at all and we miss out on some of the awesome things that God is doing. I hear people say all the time, well, the Lord just doesn't do miracles anymore. Yes, he does. We're terrible at talking about it. Amen? Have you ever seen the Lord do something in your life? Have you ever been afraid to talk about it? Because you just don't know how to explain it. Science says this can't happen. Doctors told me I wasn't going to make it. Listen, God can use all things. God can do amazing things. The Holy Spirit is bigger than us. God is bigger than us. Don't be condemned by the, 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 the rules of this world. God is bigger than it. Don't buy into those lies. I want to point out five quick things and then we'll get out of here about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, five quick things. When we look at the first day of Pentecost, there's a couple of things. First, we are called by God to worship. We are called to sing songs and to worship God. It's right for us to be filled with the Spirit as we worship. It's right for us to raise our hands. It's right for us to cry out for God. John Wesley says, Singing is as much of the language of holy joy as praising is of holy desire. Ephesians 5.18 says, Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, and always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing is, is there's power in the Holy Spirit. As I just said, He daily renews His gifts to you. Ask Him to produce fruit in your life. If you're alive in the Lord, and you're growing in Him, and you're a tree planted by living water, you're going to produce fruit. If you're not producing fruit in your life, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Are you studying the Word of God? Are you confessing your sins? Or do you even know them? Because God is a barrier breaker. The Holy Spirit is a barrier breaker. The Holy Spirit can take a racist heart and mend it. The Holy Spirit can take a bunch of different languages and make them sound the same. The Holy Spirit isn't about socioeconomic status or, or whatever you may think. Like, maybe there's people in your life you don't like. Maybe there's people in your life you're afraid of. Maybe there's family members you don't want to have anything to do with. The Holy Spirit will give you the strength to not only love them, but to minister to them. Because the Holy Spirit is a barrier breaker. You know, we know the story of Babel. Maybe you don't. I'll just explain it real quick. There was a group of people who thought it would be a good idea to try to make their own glory and make their way into heaven. And so as a punishment, God said, okay, you like that? You like speaking the same language? Boom, babble. Now you all speak different languages. Have a good time trying to get to me on your own. So babble was this moment where we were separated from God through kind of this condition of, of, of communication. But you see, Pentecost, this day that we celebrate, is an undoing of babel. Because the Holy Spirit smashes the barrier of language. And God says, through my son, you will come. And his church will be those who bring the message. Isn't that cool? We get to be a part of bringing the message of people through the Holy Spirit. Not because we do it. Listen to me. You don't save anybody. You hear me, church? You don't save anybody. And that's the third, or the fourth statement here, is that the, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is the Holy Spirit's job to do the work. We're just being asked to be willing. We're just being asked 
to be available. So when you come to me and you say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible or I'm not ready to share my faith, it doesn't matter because you're never going to know enough about the Bible. You're never going to be ready to share your faith. That's why you need to shut up, get out of the way, and let the Holy Spirit do you through you. Right? And I promise you, He will. I am amazed at the things that come out of my mouth. I have no idea what I'm talking about half the time. But God's good. Just like some of you have experienced that moment where in obedience you took took a ridiculous moment and you obeyed God and he did something amazing and you're afraid to talk about it because it was that awesome. I want to encourage you, if you have one of those moments in your life, talk about it. Don't be afraid of it because the Holy Spirit is alive and he is at work. Amen? It is his job to convict. You don't save anybody. He does. See, we as a church cannot become inwardly focused. The moment we become inwardly focused is the moment we're outside of God's will. The Holy Spirit came to empower us and to equip us to go and make disciples. So church, that is our mission. We're going to hear about that next week. We're going to hear about what our mission as a church is as we're a young church. And so I just want to leave you with this. We need to remember that our purpose as the Lord's church is not to focus on ourselves and on our own happiness, but our purpose is to spread the knowledge of God to all nations, beginning here in our own Jerusalem. And if we look, lose our outward focus with overall purpose of God's glory, we have lost our reason for existence. God turned Pentecost into a moment where he comes to us and empowers us. Don't sit around like a bunch of unpowered believers because you do have the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We praise you that you do ridiculous things, God. We thank you for the way that on that day of Pentecost that you took those tongues of fire and you enabled your disciples to speak in ways they never knew they could speak. Lord, what if they were afraid to open their mouth? We know that you would have worked, God. But we pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to be obedient to the Spirit, to be obedient to you, Holy Spirit, and that we would not be afraid to call on your name, understanding that your name is not our power to evoke, that we can't tell you, Holy Spirit, what your job is. We can't tell you what to do in our lives, but we can ask you to do your will in our lives. You are not a weapon, Holy Spirit. You are our, our, our empowerer. You make a way. You love us. And so, Father God, we pray that you would continue to minister to our hearts and forgive us where we have messed up this Holy Spirit fear that we have. Come, sweet Spirit.